Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. Probably like they used to mean something in this town. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites, all of you. You got a problem with what I'm saying, Larry? Untie your tongue and you come out here and talk, huh? Am I upsetting you, princess? You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a, a winter prediction. It's gonna be cold, it's gonna be gray, and it's gonna last you for the rest of your life. Michael Preston. Hey, would you look at that? It happened again! I'm just so I'm so happy we get to talk about this same thing every week. It's so wonderful. This makes my week. It just makes it so much better every time that we get to talk about coughing up a second half. Lead and looking like absolute poo-poo for an entire 30 minutes of football. And I say poo-poo because it keeps my broadcast FCC-friendly, even though I'm under no obligation to do so because this is a podcast and it does not need to meet over-the-air standards that are set forth by the Federal Communications Commission. Again, a weird intro. We're known for it on this podcast. I am Michael Preston. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. Nick Kranz from right from California is going to join us to preview the California Golden Bears here in just a little bit. Then we're going to talk about what I think is kind of... uh, Weird realignment move, and you know how normally when you see realignment, you can kind of really sort of see the really direct benefit for everybody involved, and I don't know that I really see it in this particular one. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit, but as always, end with our uh, Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. Good batch of questions as usual. Um, We're just we're back here again. I mean, I and, and what kills me is... You know, even even though the stats may not say it, the defense ostensibly looked better. You forced six fumbles, recovered three of them uh, on Saturday. What a what a day for Ron Stone, by the way. Hell of a day for Ron Stone um, in Salt Lake City. Not quite to Hercules Mata Offa levels uh, at Rice Eccles in 2017, but he was he was at least on the runway to approaching it. Um, you know, you start off the second half by forcing a fumble on Utah's opening position possession. Garantano actually throws a great ball to Dijon Stribling for a touchdown to go up. Um, and then it just it happened again. You don't score a single point um, in the remaining 28 minutes of the game. You, you just cannot do that if your margin for error is that thin and how many times have we talked about in the past Washington State football teams that you know I'm thinking the 2012 version 2013 to an extent 2014 very much 15 kind of and 10, and 16 kind of sort of but again not not as much but especially this team how can you you can't not keep scoring if you're going to win a football game the offense can't stall out and only score 13 points against a very mediocre Utah defense if you are going to win a football game there is no margin for error and especially considering 
you know, I think there were, what, two Utah drives that ended inside of the Wazoo red zone. Um, and I think one pretty much on the goal line where Washington State um, forced a fumble uh, on the goal line, if I'm remembering right. So, on the yeah, on the Washington State 8, I'm looking at it now, and on the goal line. So, yeah, that's two inside the red zone in the second half that you managed to end with a turnover. And so, in theory, Utah could have been up by a lot more, but your defense did the job they're supposed to do. They got the ball away from the offense. And I just, I feel like, again, we're in this place where your margin for error is basically zero. And they they made a lot of them on Saturday. An offense that looked like they could not, just could not move the football effectively. Um, 134 rushing yards, 248 passing yards, and if I'm doing the math really quickly, you get 248 divided by 36, so that's 6.88 yards per attempt for Garantano. That's not terrible. It's not great either. Dijon Stribling looked great. Travell Harris had a nice game as well. Um, and by, by the way, I want to call out here, Nate Haberer, 50 yards a punt. Well done, young man. <laughs> that looked really good. Um, but Garantano also threw three picks, including that final backbreaker um, that sealed the game for Utah. And it's the, it's it's those kind of errors I'm talking about, or about not holding on to the football for a little bit longer when your defense manages to turn it over on the goal line. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And what we're what I'm really really left with after Saturday is this was a Utah team that had the you know the quintessential team meeting earlier in the week because their starting quarterback had or the guy who had gotten benched then quit immediately and I think you saw from Cam Rising he is not much of a thrower he is really inaccurate he is deeply not good at throwing the football right now which is kind of a really important aspect of being a quarterback is that you'd be good at throwing the football um what, I, what I'm left with after that is, I mean, A, it's very tough to pick out a winnable game on the schedule, especially after watching what Oregon State did to USC. It's very hard to pick another winnable one out, maybe this weekend against Cal. We'll talk about that a little bit with Nick, Arizona. But what did the coaches see in Jarrett Garantano that led them to naming him the starter over Jaden Delora. What in God's name did they see that said he is the better option than Jarrett Garantano? I thought the offensive line played a little bit better against Utah, and Garantano had time, a lot of times, um, but he was unwilling to escape pressure like Delora does to extend plays. And that's, that's one of Jaden Delora's best qualities, is that he can get away from pressure and extend a play. Okay? Garantano is either unable to or unwilling to do so. And when he has a read, he did a few times in that game, he would move from read to read and try to find the open receiver, but he gets so stuck and gets so tunnel-visioned on one receiver that not only if that guy is not open, is he frozen with the football, and that obviously leads to sacks, but he's unwilling to move the pocket and to 
trying to do the things he needs to do to find somebody open. When you think of really good Washington State quarterbacks who did that, you like your Gardner Minshews, like Luke Falk before he got a little bit older and apparently a little less mobile, it, it was extending those plays that sometimes led to big plays or just helped to keep drives alive. And I, I don't know what in God's name anybody on that coaching staff saw in Garantano over Delore because Lord knows it's not that he takes any better care of the football after what we did. That first interception he threw is one of the worst I have ever seen in my life. Just right at a defender. Right at a defender in triple coverage. There is no excuse to throw that football, and especially no excuse to throw that football for a graduate transfer senior. There is just no reason that football should ever leave your hand in that situation. Because... Fine, you take a sack. Bare minimum, you're getting out of there with three points. Okay? It, that you, you cannot let go of the ball in that situation. Cannot do it. So, I'm getting exasperated because I, I think what this all leads me down is that the decision-making on this coaching staff seems to be, and I think suspect is a polite word to be using. It's, it's a very polite word to use. I mean, forgetting in-game decision-making in terms of what fourth downs to go for and when to go for them, um, you know, and, and again, back to Garantano versus Delora. I mean, Saturday's one thing. Okay, fine, Delora's hurt. He can't play. I get it. But that is what concerns me so greatly is that seemingly there is nobody who can make a big boy decision on that sideline. That is deeply worrying. That when a game gets even a little bit off script, things go sideways. I think you've seen that really early on in games with this team, is that they look good early in games. They looked excellent against USC to start things, right? They looked really good to start things. Okay? They moved the ball to start that game. They went 41 yards and turned it over on downs. And that was, again, that was the fourth down I was fine going for from the Utah 34. That makes sense. That pick on the next drive. And then they kicked a field goal. They moved the ball 41, 64, and 51 yards those first three drives. That's pretty darn good. And then they moved the ball 71 yards on their final drive of the half, and it ended with a field goal. That is great. 21, 2, 17, 23, 5, 16, negative 3 after that. Do I need to say anything else? I mean, how, how many times have we gone over the lack of adjustments that when things go sideways, they truly go sideways, and nobody seems to have an ability to course correct anything? And I, I'm not putting that on the players because you cannot just sit here and expect those kids to always be the ones to do it. It needs to come from the adults. And I, yes, I get everybody's an adult here legally, but it needs to come from the people who are being paid to do this. I don't buy into the whole we need to make this team more mentally tough stuff. Mike Leach's teams were very much known for being mentally tough and getting through these situations. And it does not seem like for whatever reason this team can do that because the minute it starts to go sideways, everything shrinks, everybody gets tight, tight, tight. They tighten way up. And, it, and it's just it's like a boulder going down a hill, just picking up momentum and speed at a tremendous pace. 
That is what is so frightening. Besides the decision-making, besides any anything else, is that when something goes wrong, nobody has any idea what to do. Everybody kind of like looks at each other and tries to figure it out. And even ostensibly the team's leader, Nick Rolovich, doesn't know what to do. Look at all the flip-flopping between quarterbacks in the USC game. It, it just it literally looks like picking up a handful of horse crap and just hurling it at a wall and seeing, okay, well, that's stuck, so let's do that. Look at, look at putting a small receiver under center to run a sneak on fourth down. How, how small? I, I don't know. I don't have it right in front of me. I don't know exactly how big Lincoln Victor is. I know he is not very big. I know he is tinier in height and weight than me. Now, granted, weight-wise, that's not a great comparison because most of this is beer and Cheetos. But when you have Dion McIntosh, when you have Max Borgie, when you have Jarrett Guar- Garantano, when you have Kevin Cooper, when you have literally anybody else on that team to come in and run a sneak for you, I don't know who you think you're fooling when Lincoln Victor does that. It just what what are what is the what is the reasoning for being that cute about that? What is the reasoning for trying to do that? It doesn't make any dang sense to try to to I'll call it a QB sneak, but a wide receiver sneak with one of your smallest players. It 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 defies logic. And maybe this is results-based because if they picked it up, we wouldn't have said anything. But it still looked really weird. It's still, in in the moment, it was kind of like, what are we doing here? You cannot be an effective coach. You cannot be an effective leader in this sport, if when or in any sport, frankly. If when things go off script, you panic and lose your head. You cannot do it. And especially at Washington State, where you're not always going to have the superior athletes, you're not always going to have the superior team, you need to find ways to win football games. And you need, when stuff goes wrong, you cannot let it continue to do so. When we talk about Mike Leach's tough teams, that is what we are talking about. And I'm not here to tell you that Mike Leach's style of coaching... Um, in terms of his, you know, being a dictator, is any better or worse than Nick Rolovich seemingly being more player-friendly? I know which one I would prefer. I would actually prefer Nick Rolovich in terms of my mentality as a former okay athlete, and I want to emphasize okay. But if there's one thing you could say about Mike Leach's teams is that they were mentally tough. They were mentally tough, and something is clearly missing on this team because I don't know and you could kind of point to on all those teams this person's a leader this person is in charge this person you know they are the ones who can help bring this team up from the depths and I don't know that you can do that on this football team and that is what is worrying this is not something that you can put a number on I can't quantify it I can't do any of that stuff we like to do on this website on Kook Center but what I can tell you is is that something is missing over there and 
it is on this coaching staff to figure it out because if it keeps going like this, if it is clear that this team does not have a leader either from its coaching staff or that the coaching staff can give it on the roster, if it is clear that they are unable to make decisions like this, if they are so so willing to shrink in the moment of needing to be a big boy, put on your britches and make a decision and make a good decision and be confident in those decisions and make well thought out decisions then this is going to end badly at the end of the year and not for the reasons of a refusal to get a shot that is mandated by your employer. It will end badly for that reason, but also it will end badly because you are deeply unqualified to do this. We are now a third of the way through the season. And in addition to four games last year, you're three quarters of a way, basically, through, or two thirds of a way through a season. And it, just, it it is wild to me that in only eight games, we can see how bad it is already. And don't make a mistake about it. It is bad. I want to see this turned around. I am not sitting here rooting for this team to lose. You have no idea how desperately I want this football team winning because it makes us all a heck of a lot happier. And it makes the, you know, it, it just, it just makes, it makes life better to have this football team winning. But it is very clear in this moment that this coaching staff is not equipped to do it. They need to figure out something over the next nine weeks. Because if not, if not, and again, forget a mandate from the state. This school will be looking for a new head coach at the end of the year. If they cannot sort it out in the next eight games. <sighs> I'm a little unhappy. Can you tell? Just a little unhappy. On that note, let's talk about the next game with Nick Kranz of Right for California. It's the Cal BS week, everybody. <laughs> An interesting interesting discussion with Nick. It seems like the circle of life. Like, Oregon State always beats Cal. Cal always beats us, and we always beat Oregon State, even though that's probably going to be a little different this year. But let's talk to Nick next. Preview the Cal Golden Bears here on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, we're joined now by Nick Kranz of Right for California, formerly of California Golden Blogs, and thanks to a very poorly written law in California, no longer under the SB Nation umbrella, but they're doing wonderful things still at Right for California. And uh, Nick, before my microphone started acting up a while ago, and you were so kind as to be patient enough for me to fix things, um, you remarked that now Coog Center is the best, now we are the best Pac-12 blog, which I am... Uh, Although I heartily disagree, I also understand your sentiment there, and we're happy to have you back. I mean, you know, we all miss Bruins Nation, but let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know that uh, miss is the word I would use, but it's very kind of you to do that um, for them. I don't know how many times they wanted Dan Guerrero fired, but good for them. Um, I, we, I think a lot of folks kind of look at Justin Wilcox. I want to start with him uh, there as we preview Cal. Um you know, I don't want to say following a Sonny Dykes trajectory where Sonny, you know, was fine and then had one really cratered for a year and then was let go. 
Justin Wilcox certainly had this team on the upswing. In fact, I, I was there for them beating Wazoo quite handily um, in 2017 when Washington State was ranked in the top 10. Um, things seemed to be trending in the right direction. And then, you know, last year wasn't great. And again, this year, um, uh, just a uh, just a gut punch of a loss here in Seattle last weekend. How are things looking for Justin Wilcox here um, at Cal, and now I technically his fifth year, even though last year was kind of a, you know, obviously a shortened year. Yeah, it's, I would say the fan base is, is pretty grumbly right now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that really stems from, well, there's a couple of things. Firstly, last year, the COVID year was supposed to be our year. And, and we can talk about, you know, maybe expectations were probably a little overinflated because Cal fans are so desperate for, you know, like we haven't had a winning record in the Pac-12 since Jeff Tedford left. So, mm-hmm. you know, that gives you a sense of like how long it's been since we've had a team that seems relevant. And then last year was somewhere between a disaster and, and taken away due to circumstance. So now we sort of transferred all our expectations to this year, fairly or unfairly. And... If you're a sunny side up fan, you would say, well, we're one and three, but all three losses were by a single possession. They easily could have swung in the other direction. Mm-hmm. If you're a glass half empty Cal fan, you're thinking the defense is the problem right now. Mm-hmm. What is the point of having Justin Wilcox as our head coach if the defense is going to be bad? So, um, mixed feelings to say the least yeah I want to touch on the defense here in a little bit because that was kind of something I you know I was obviously looking at um leading up to the Cal game was you know Justin Wilcox has spent his whole life as defensive coordinator before coming to Berkeley and doesn't look good on that side of the ball but before we get there um as you mentioned one and three uh through the first third of the season and again Cal fans kind of grumbly but those one possession losses to a pretty decent Nevada team and okay Texas Christian team and then UW we don't really know I guess too terribly much about but they came back in that game so just given that at least it seems like the team has a little tenacity and a little want to at least right it seems like to me maybe yeah well I mean quite frankly they outplayed Washington Mm -hmm. Um, they lost to Washington because of some special teams disasters and because they lost the turnover battle three to one. You know, like if you watch that game, you'd probably come away thinking that Cal was the better team, not, you know, much better, but, but better. And, you know, normally you kind of say, well, great, you know, going into Seattle and out playing Washington is a pretty good sign, but also we're sitting here at one and three and, you know, Cal just put their best performance forward and still lost. So, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain point, you got to turn good play into wins or it doesn't much matter. Yeah. Chase Garbers uh, finally is the guy in charge of this offense. I feel like he's like a Chase Budding, Budinger type where he's just been in, in the Pac-12 for like 18 years. Um, but he is in his last year of eligibility uh, in Berkeley and is the guy now in charge. How has he been... Um, in 2021, I know he was, you know, the guy in charge last year, but again, COVID being what it was, it was a weird season. So I'm kind of functionally using 21 as that, that real year. Um, how has he been so far in kind of finally knowing he's the guy in the captain seat? Well, it's funny that he's had such an up and down career. So you might recall, he was sort of unexpectedly became Cal's starter in 2018. Mm-hmm. Which, which culminated in the infamous Cheez-It Bowl in his, his redshirt freshman year. Mm-hmm. He started 2019 playing 
about the same as he played in 2018, which is to say not very good. And then the season, all of a sudden, like something clicked for him, like a third of the way through 2019, he started playing great. And then he got hurt. He comes back and finishes the 2019 season on a high note. And so we're all hyped up for 2020. Cal changes offensive coordinators in the middle of a COVID season where they can't practice the playbook. And the offense looks like a disaster again. Mm-hmm. So now we're cynical again. We start 2021, and the offense plays an awful game against Nevada, and we all say, oh, no, we suck again. And then it's like suddenly, magically, after, well, I guess, the, uh, the the TCU game was Garber's sixth game in the Bill Musgrave offense. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, suddenly everything clicked, and the offense has been quite good for the past three games. Um primarily because of what chase garbers does like the running game is solid um you know cal starting running back damian moore actually is an injury doubt for washington state he's been good but he doesn't really have breakaway speed really the offense is predicated on chase garbers making plays with his feet and with his uh with his arm and that's more or less what worked against washington he was mm-hmm. you know like 80 percent of our offense or something like that mm-hmm what you you mentioned more maybe questionable for this game against Wazoo. If you had to name one player that, in terms of a really good weapon for Garbers to be getting the football to, that Washington State fans should be really worried about, who would that be? Well, so he's uh, unfortunately for Cal fans, he's not the only injury doubt. So Damian Moore is Cal starting running back. He uh, he fumbled the ball after a nasty hit on the very last play of the game, mm-hmm. and that's when he got hurt. Uh, Jake Tonjes is Cal's by far best pass-catching tight end. He left the game injured. Nico Remigio is probably Cal's best-known wide receiver. He also returns all their kicks. He left the game with an injury. Um, so the, you know, all three could play. I, you know, Of course, the Cal coaching staff won't, won't let anything on. They'll probably no. be like a, a, a PR announcement an hour before the game. Uh, so you know, your best guess is as good as mine. If if all of those guys aren't playing, um, you'd probably look at Trayvon Clark, uh, a deep threat wide receiver, mm-hmm. um, Jeremiah Hunter, maybe more of a a speed yak threat on shorter routes. Um, you know, Cal has maybe not like one spectacular wide receiver, but just lots of real solid guys that you trust. Mm-hmm. And so it's more about Chase distributing the ball than it is about any one guy that a defense can't deal with. We touched on it a little bit um, at the beginning. And, you know, when you hire a guy like Justin Wilcox, you kind of expect the defense to be in good shape. That's pretty much all he'd done his entire life. I mean, that really is all he's done his entire coaching career is be a defensive coordinator. He was excellent at Washington when he was there. Um, and right now, the Cal defense is ranked 80th and SP+. Plus. They do not look great. So what is the big problem on that side of the football? Because like you mentioned, like I thought, looking at it before this, it's like that should be the side of the football that's doing well for the Golden Bears, and that is just not the case right now. Yeah. Um, there's a few different things that are, I, I feel like, somewhat compounding each other. Um one issue is some questions at one of the cornerback spots. We were supposed to come in with a returning starter at one of the cornerback spots. Um, that uh, we are currently playing a true freshman who's like five ten, and he's talented, but he's also a true freshman who's five ten. Yeah, um, it's a concern that he's starting. Quite frankly, um, 
he's he's been okay, but you know you can tell he's gone through his freshman lumps. Meanwhile, Cal's middle linebackers really struggle in pass coverage. So you know if if you're the type of offense that can you know find space for a tight end in zone coverages or send a bunch of crossing routes, you know Cal has struggled with that. Um, on top of that, pressure has been inconsistent. Cal mm-hmm. didn't get any pressure at all on Dylan Morris in the first half against UW. Finally got a little bit in the second half when Cal got a, enough stops to allow the offense to come back. Um, you know, the, the Cal's best defensive lineman, Brett Johnson, um, got is, is likely out for the year after getting into a scooter crash in the offseason. He was really supposed to anchor the defensive line, and without him, you know, like there's a bunch of sort of solid guys but nobody who's really all that disruptive on their own mm-hmm. um cal's probably best outside linebacker coin dang is out injured after the tcu game um the other real the big issue is cal can't tackle um which is that's the weirdest thing because that's been the hallmark of the yeah. Wilcox era it's mm-hmm. like you know we don't necessarily have brilliant athletes but they're sound tackler tacklers and we're not going to give up big plays as a result like right now in PFS tackling ranking, Cal is like 116th between South Alabama and Rice. Um, it's it's weird. Um, and teams that can put guys in space, like TCU, shredded us because it's it's a good spread offense that's going to get running backs and wide receivers out in space and make guys miss tackles, and they made us miss a whole bunch of tackles. Mm-hmm. If an offense can sort of follow that uh, that plan, you know, they can make Cal look bad. You mentioned it a, a little bit, and it was something I did want to touch on because the one thing that struck me, you know, besides I've watched a little bit of Cal, but besides, like you mentioned, kind of the poor tackling, which is not a hallmark of a Justin Wilcox team, is the, is the lack of pressure. I think I counted only nine QB hits and six sacks through four games, and that, you know, like you mentioned, that is not normal um, for this defense. Is that the biggest problem right now? Because, you know, I, I can kind of see how it leads to issues for that true freshman cornerback who might not you know who's got to mark a man a lot longer than he might want to if they can't get to the quarterback up front yeah i'd be inclined to think that that's a bigger issue and cal does have guys in the secondary who are pretty trustworthy like they're two starting safeties and one of like of their um like in their nickel package three of the guys are super reliable veterans they're not going to maybe wow you but they're neither are they going to make any sort of critical error Mm -hmm. um but, you know, for the same reason that they're not going to wow you, they're not going to cover a guy for six, seven seconds. So, yeah, yeah it, it's all issues that compound each other. If the Cal defense is playing well, what are they doing really well? You mentioned they're, you know, they're having some trouble marking crossing routes. I know that was something WSU used to a little bit of effect against Utah um, last week. The Utes did eventually sniff it out and kind of took care of the issue. But what is Cal doing really well on defense if they are playing well? So, you know, they're solid against the run. Um the, like I said, the middle linebackers, they struggle a little in pass coverage, but they're good. I think it run fits. Um, I think that they're generally pretty good at like taking away the edges, wide receiver screens. And if they can get pressure, then you know everything looks so much better. That was basically the basis of, of Cal's comeback against Washington as they finally got Dylan Morris off his spot, mm-hmm. made his reads a little more difficult or faster, and, and that led to a number of stops. Um, 
but the reality is like the Cal defense this year's vintage, at least playing up to that level has been few and far between. You know, mm-hmm. I could talk about what prior Wilcox defense is what they look like when they're playing well, but I don't think that this defense has that ceiling to them that uh, others Wilcox defense has had. Mm-hmm. It's been almost a decade since Wazoo won in Berkeley, a team that, you know, a place they go every other year. So it's been a hot minute since they came out of Memorial Stadium with a win. Um, and as our fans are so fond of calling it, it is the Cal Bull bleep as 2014 just proved in spades. We all remember that football game very well. Um, <laughs> if you had to give me a prediction for how this one's going to go, uh, just, just your best guess for what happens at the, at whatever time this game ends on Saturday. Cause I think it ends at about 6 PM. Yeah. So, so throwing aside the fact that for for the same reason that we can't figure out why Oregon State has Cal's number or the reason why Washington State has I think Oregon State and Stanford's number yeah I can't have Washington State's number yeah I can't I can't figure Um, out how we keep beating David Shaw but I'm gonna take it (laughs) thank god yeah I know I'll take it it. yeah Um, (laughs) setting aside that juju aspect of it yeah if I'm if I'm looking at this game objectively um what I see is a Cal team that has issues on defense, but appears to be pretty competent offensively versus a Washington state team that has issues on offense and defense mm-hmm. and is playing on the road, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, that, I, that basically is probably why Cal opened as uh, as seven point favorites uh, in the gambling line. Um, the thing with Cal for much of the Wilcox tenure and particularly over the last two seasons is they're not good enough to put anybody away. Um, Every game, like, so last year, other than an insane game against UCLA that was scheduled like 24 hours in advance, every game was a one score game this year. Take away the FCS game. Every other game has been a one score game. Mm Mm-hmm. Cal is good enough to stay close to anybody and bad enough to keep everybody else close. And so, you know, if, if you're a Washington state fan, you're hoping that Cal refuses to put Washington state away and puts themselves in a position where one last touchdown drive can win a game. Um, for a Cal fan, you know, we're, we're frankly getting a little bit tired of, of the one score games. We would just mm-hmm. love to put somebody away and actually win a game, you know, uh, normally. But uh, you know, I, I kind of suspect that that's asking too much. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, take it, take it, take it from a take it from another guy. But you, but you think still a cow a cow win on Saturday in all likelihood? That's you know that's what I would predict certainly. Yeah. Um, to the extent that anybody should ever predict Pac-12 football, that that would be my prediction. Yeah. No, my God, no! I just it's been I I'm I'm gonna hang my hat on that Oregon win over Ohio State and not remember anything for the rest of the year. Uh, Nick Kranz writes for Right for California. He covers the Golden Bears and he was so kind to put up with us through some microphone trouble tonight. So we really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. Always uh, always happy to talk to anybody from Cook Center. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Nick for joining us on the podcast. Always valuable to have some insights on other teams, which has been difficult this year for scheduling purposes and all that other good jazz. But we were glad we got a preview of the California Golden Bears in when we could do that. Um, An interesting story being reported by... Uh, Brett McMurphy and Matt Norlander uh, on an- another realignment uh, 
kind of thing of interest here. Um, it, it you know we know Oklahoma and Texas are heading to the SEC, and we know the Big Twelve is replacing them with BYU, Houston, UCF, and I'm forgetting who the other one is. I believe it's Memphis. This I can't remember. <laughs> We're gonna Google that furiously. Um, but it, it basically rated, you know, we we rated um the American Conference, right? Um, the Cincinnati Bearcats, not the Memphis Tigers. There you go. Um, but still, the solid stand, the point stands, the solid stands, the point stands. This is just going off the rails quickly. Um, that they rated the American to do that. Um, so the American is now, I mean, you know, we kind of, it's kind of going around in a circle here of who's kind of getting the shaft, um, in terms of realignment, but now the American is looking to expand and what caught my eye. And I was kind of interested by this because I figured there's at least some decent candidates in conference USA that you can add. Um, but what really caught my eye was, or I guess caught everybody's eye, really, was that they want to expand with Colorado State and the Air Force Academy. Now, the American doesn't have, obviously, there's not a footprint in their name like the Pacific 12 or the Southeastern Conference or the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, and I would I would also say that generally these days geography is less important for your big money maker sport in football. It doesn't really matter too terribly much, given you can get on an airplane and be anywhere in this country in just about five hours. Um, but this interests me for a couple of reasons. I mean, a boy, does that it's it's just a weird. <laughs> Colorado State and Air Force don't really fit the profile of American schools. And, you know, again, even though I said geography is not really a thing, I mean, it still is. The American schools are on the East Coast. Um, so th that's kind of what I'm interested in here. I mean, Air Force maybe has some appeal because you've already got Navy in the conference. So, okay, maybe we add them um, and we get we get a, you know, a natural kind of partner um, with Navy and a service academy, maybe that leads down the road to adding Army as well. But it just, I don't think it makes a ton of sense. Because really, outside of football, outside of football, it, it it's incredibly difficult to travel to Fort Collins and to Colorado Springs. Now, granted, those are close together, so you at least get when teams are going out there, they are getting, you know, two pretty close travel partners. But how does that make sense for men's basketball or women's basketball or soccer or baseball or whatever to have to make that trip? And vice versa, and especially for the Rams and the Falcons, that you're having every time you go on the road, you got to go a pretty decent distance to get anywhere. I think from a cost standpoint... I mean, if you think you can get that much more money out of a TV contract, then okay, maybe it makes sense to offset a little bit of the dollars. But I just don't see a way it works. I mean, and besides the fact, there's not really, you know, kind of this natural geographic rivalry with anybody. I mean, you, you might you might be able to say that about Utah and Colorado prior to them joining um, the Pac-12, but they were close by at least. And so it seemed like a natural fit to, even though I don't, really dislike anybody who roots for Utah or Colorado, but it at least seemed like you could see those two things. You could go, okay, that's a fit. And the Americans not as concerned, you know, with TV markets like the PAC 12 might be, um, in this day and age, but, um, they are, you still need to be worried about it. And yeah, granted, you might get some of the state of Colorado, but again, you're not making huge inroads there. So from the perspective of 
How does it make sense competition-wise, rivalry-wise? I don't think it really does. Um, And I think where it makes even less sense to me is that I don't know that the American is actually a better spot than the Mountain West for the Rams and the Falcons. I understand, you know, as, as was pointed out to me on social media, and I understand this point, is that you, you might be looking to kind of quit before they can fire you, so to speak, that if you are still that truly worried about Boise State and San Diego State making the jump to the Big 12 eventually, um, then, okay, maybe, you know, like I said, you want to quit before you can get fired and you're left with this conference that is is really not, without Boise State, and I mean, really, the, the let's put it this way, the money-making brand is Boise State in that conference. I understand SDSU fans are... If you're listening to this, you're not going to enjoy that. But really, Boise State is the brand. San Diego State does okay, but it is BSU running away with it that is the most important school to that conference in terms of money. So if if you, if those two schools leave, you're worried about what's going to be left. And I completely get that. It, it just seems like, I, I don't know. Like I, I understand the Big 12 has left open that they may expand again in the future, but I have a very hard time especially with adding BYU, Houston, UCF and Cincinnati the one I've forgotten shouldn't have forgotten because they are a very good football team um in conjunction with having Kansas with having Kansas State with having Iowa State with having Texas Tech with having Baylor with having TCU that makes you pretty competitive athletically and I don't know, and you know, especially with whatever comes out of this Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12 alliance, um, I don't know that the Big 12 is going to be too terribly interested in taking Boise State, in taking San Diego State. Now, again, the big, you know, we, I, I try not to look at this through the lens of the Pac-12, which is worried about markets, which is worried about academics. Um, I, I don't think the Big 12. Um, is as worried about that kind of thing. But Boise State does present a bit of a stumbling block in that sense. They are not an excellent academic school. San Diego State does fine. Um, and that obviously represents a big market in San Diego. And Lord knows the Aztecs are never getting into the Pac-12 as long as the other four California schools are here. Um, so really for them, the Big 12 is really kind of the natural spot to go if you're going to go anywhere from the Mountain West. But I think there's a benefit to Boise State being the big fish in the little pond. We've said that about Gonzaga for a long time. Gonzaga could jump up in basketball only to a bigger conference if another one was maybe interested, if the Big 12 were interested, if the Mountain West were interested in their basketball-only membership. You get, that gets a little bit more... You know, conferences aren't as willing to do that as you get up the food chain, so to speak, um, in terms of the sport and the conference. Um, but I don't know that Boise State wants to try to have to compete every single year in the Big 12 when you can kind of pick and choose your spots who you play out of conference, when you play them out of conference. And then when you play the bowl games, you, you have a shot to beat one of the big boys, and they do with regularity. Um, but we've discussed you know, on this podcast and elsewhere, that bowl games are kind of these weird one-offs where you get weeks and weeks to practice and weeks and weeks to prep, and also you got to travel, but everybody's got to travel, and it's just a weird kind of anomaly. Um, does Boise State want to leave a conference that they can dominate for one that they probably won't year in, year out? Do you really want to leave the Mountain West to have to compete with BYU, with Cincinnati, with UCF, with Houston, with Texas Tech? 
with Kansas State, with Kansas in basketball, with Baylor, with Iowa State, do you really want to do that? Because it seems to me like you're in a pretty decent position where you are. Now, granted, the money's not nearly as good, and so perhaps that becomes the motivator down the line, but if you can find a way to make the Mountain West a more valuable property and to make it more attractive than the American to TV partners, which I think you're kind of going down that road right now because right now Boise State is the best brand in either of those conferences, that, I mean, maybe you wait it out and maybe you wait and see. Because I, I, I think if you're Boise State, I think you are a little bit like Gonzaga in that you might just be happy beating the crap out of teams you know you can consistently beat the crap out of. Anytime a team in the Mountain West beats Boise State in football, it's a big deal for those teams. So do you want to go to a place where 7-5 and five and 8-4 and four seasons happen with regularity? Or do you want to keep your fan base super engaged and be this super successful brand that's known for knocking off Giants in bowl games? I don't know. I just don't think it makes a ton of sense for Colorado State and Air Force Academy to do this. Now, if they do this, I think the Mountain West, again, this is where the circle comes around now. Who's the next conference that has to expand? I think the Mountain West actually has two schools that they could look at and say pretty confidently that they would add to the brand of the conference. And I want you to stick with me here, okay, because they are FCS teams. Okay, and I understand that I it's a bit of a stretch, a little bit of a stretch. But I do think that the Montana Grizzlies and the North Dakota State Bison offer a pretty decent opportunity if the Colorado State Rams and the Air Force Academy Falcons leave. Montana and North Dakota State, you know about the success they have at the FCS level, especially North Dakota State. They beat FBS teams with regularity. They're both known brands. They both, you know, again, that success. And they both bring at least some recognition to the conference right away. Like, right away, everybody knows the Montana Grizzlies, and Lord knows everybody knows the North Dakota State Bison. Now, granted, okay... You're talking about markets where Montana and North Dakota combined have a smaller population than the Seattle area, okay? But if you're the Mountain West, you're kind of left with not a ton of other choices than those schools. And I think they're very natural fits um, in terms of facilities, in terms of size of the towns they're in, and in terms of athletic success, Um especially in football, which again, you know, we talk about all the time how that is kind of the important sport. So... If Air Force and CSU decide to bolt for the American, not a great idea, I think. I do think the Mountain West is still positioned to be okay and still positioned to make some money um, down the line here. I did love when Boise State tried to threaten to leave, and the Mountain West did basically call their bluff last year and said, fine, if you want to leave, leave. Go ahead and do it. And they didn't. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to to me, is that Boise State's tried this before. I kind of got to that point a little quickly, but Boise State's bluffed this before, and they didn't do it. So maybe something changes, but maybe the Big 12 is just not interested. And maybe they left open the idea to expansion to try to help out the American to get the teams they wanted. But again, I just, I don't see how it makes sense for Colorado State and Air Force. I don't see how it makes sense for the American. I don't see how it makes any sense for anybody involved in that transaction. I really don't. 
Because if you're the American, you're not getting anything extra money-wise out of Colorado State and Air Force. Maybe a few bucks. And maybe the money's a little bit better if you're Colorado State and Air Force, but I don't know how much. We'll see. It'll be interesting, but I do think if they do leave the Mountain West, it's, excuse me, well-positioned to take those two teams I mentioned. And, you know, there would obviously be a drop-off in terms of recognition at first, but I, I can almost say with certainty a lot more people know about North Dakota State football than know about Colorado State football. I think I could say that with relative confidence. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything on the other side of the fight song on the Cook Center Hour. Dunderhead of the week. No matter what Costco you go to, and every parent knows this, the diapers are always in the furthest possible place away from the door, right? Like, they're always in the opposite corner of the place. Um, But I was in South Center uh, not long ago last week to go to the Total Wine and More there uh, to pick up some provisions. And needed to go to Costco for diapers, and so went to that particular Costco there in Tuckwill of the South Center area. And my lord, I have never seen a more hectic, frantic, and poorly set up space in my entire life. Just stacked to the... You know normally like a Costco has like a loop? Like I, I, I assume most every Costco has like a normal like loop you can follow, right? And you do that and most everybody does that except for the idiots who go the other way. This one had stacks just like in the middle wide open swaths of space just interrupted by like two (laughs) two you know ceiling tall stacks of stuff they had low ceilings somehow they had a bakery far away from uh literally any other fresh food item (laughs) that they had available they had the beer tucked into this teeny tiny little corner that i had to like squeeze into because i'm a giant and uh, to make matters worse, the register space is squeezed in there, so you can't really fit if there's any more than, like, oh, say one person in line. The parking lot's absolute hell, and that even goes for most Costco's, like, compared to even those. Um, and generally, I don't know what it is about that, but nobody has any idea what they're doing in there, that particular Costco. The Costco in Tukwila. This is an exceedingly specific Dunderhead of the Week, but I will never be back. I will go to many other Costco's, but not to that particular Costco. It was, it was just chaos. I don't do it. I am not Jaden Delora. I don't function well in chaos. And that was chaos. Ask Michael anything time. If you guys have been to that Costco, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think there's a single person in the world that likes that one. Ask Michael anything time. At D. Lawrence and Doug Lawrence, and please, can we just leave him on the tarmac? (laughs) 
are getting close. I love that that's a verb now, getting tarmacked. I think Lane Kiffin likes that it is too. It all worked out for him. At C Clean, C K Lean, I don't know how to say that. Uh, OCTLH Seller, are you getting blown up from UT fans saying, see, we told you? Luckily, no. And I, we've said, we've discussed this on the show before. I don't get the compunction to like just totally crap all over Jarek Gar- Garantano. Garantano, excuse me. Um, just because he played badly at Tennessee, now you got to make sure that everybody knows you think he's bad, like everywhere else. I don't understand that. It, it makes like no sense. Uh, at WSU Brady 27, basketball season yet? You can learn the secret recipe of any food or drink item to make whenever you'd like. What do you learn? Like, for example, a secret sauce, Coke recipe, or how your favorite restaurant makes a dish. Ooh. I would love if I, I would love if I could learn to make pho the way the pho plays down the street from us makes it it's like it especially as we get into winter it's like i have to have it like once a week just for like the comfort of like nice and warm um there's a place in west seattle called circa their pulled pork sandwich is absolutely stunning it is absolutely delicious and i wish i knew how to make that um oh and and of course at black cypress and pullman and i need to get the name right because i want to make sure that i'm telling you the correct thing i must learn i have to learn have to have to learn how to make uh, the roasted chicken. If you have not been to Black Cypress and had the roasted chicken, go do that and then thank me. At RYNG78, Ryan Gunther, what's the status of Dallas Hobbs? He played a little bit on Saturday, I think, but I think he's just not, he's unfortunately not there this year. I mean, I mean, it stinks. Given I, the kid's setting himself up very nicely for a post-football career, so he's, he's doing plenty of that. But, yeah, I just don't think he's up there on the depth chart. At Enschulte 10, Nick, do you think Kalani Sataki would take the job? And do the Cougs win the Utah game with Jaden Delore at quarterback? Don't know about the second one. It's always hard to play, you know, if and but with that one. I think they obviously have a better chance with him, just like they would have in the Utah State game, but we'll never know. Um, no, he's not taking that job. BYU is a much better job uh, for, than Wazoo. You get, I, I would assume it's more money, um, and it's a little bit more prestigious. Um, and they're joining the Big 12. So, no, he's not going anywhere. At Totes McStow's Pumpkin, Pumpkin Stos Latte, what percentage of Kook fans are emotionally broken by this team? I think a lot. I think worse yet, I, we didn't talk about it earlier, but apathy is going to start setting in. Like, you're going to start to get apathetic, and that's exactly what you don't want. At Don Vito 137. Oh, wow, there's a name here Don Vito. John Conklin, is there a reason to not let Xavier Ward take some snaps in a game? Clearly, we're not getting a spark out of the other three backups. Um, away, yes, he's probably not there because you're limited to, I think, 65 on the road. At home in a blowout. Um, I mean, no, he can play four games. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much value there really is in him going out there in garbage time. You know, and taking 10 snaps and throwing a few balls. So if you're really worried about him getting hurt or something, I don't think there's too terribly much value in it. I understand the compunction to want to see him. Like, I, I get that. Um, but there's probably not a ton. At a good old age, McFly, besides Rolo and crew, name another coaching staff that gets their football team more prepared for 20 to 25 minutes of football every Saturday. Uh, right now, it appears Jimmy Lake and his coaches. <laughs> They've just gotten a tad more lucky. Um... Didn't completely cough it up to Cal, although they did in regulation. Um, lost to Montana late. Uh, yeah, I would I would say them. They don't look great. At Cool Coog, Jeff Cool, they're still going to beat us. Um, next week, if we lose, could we just stick the volleyball and soccer? Never too early for a basketball preview. That's certainly make me more happy. 
uh, at and well and yeah, I mean yeah we could do that I, we, I I don't talk about volleyball and soccer enough on this show like I usually do in other years I know Craig and Jeff do as well on podcast versus everyone we should talk about them more especially soccer ripped off a quick start volleyball is doing much better after a slow start as well at I am Eric Russell Eric who's your dream replacement for Rolo within reason you can't say Sapin or Dabo um you know I it's so funny like Jeff brought up a great point on the website. Uh, not long ago. That's not my job to think about. Because um, I don't know right now. I just know that Nick Rolovich probably is not the guy at this point. So I don't have an answer for that. Um, but we might find out in December. That's for sure. 4117 California. Just don't see this going particularly well. Especially given it's, you know, the annual cow bull bleep. As it is ever and always shall be. We'll see you next week on the Kook Center Hour.